everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. All right. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good to be back with you guys. All right. So uh, last week we had uh, combined service. Last week I had some time uh, with a few of my friends down in Florida. It was a great time, but I'm happy to be back with you guys. I'm excited to be starting this new series, as you can see. Um, For the next several weeks, we're going to be together here uh, looking at uh, humanity, I'd say, humanity's biggest issue, and that is sin. Uh, We're going to be highlighting a few of them for the next several weeks that we're together, uh, just so you have a list, so you know what to expect. We're going to be going over these certain sins here. We're going to be going over pride. We're going to be going over envy, anger, uh, sloth, greed, gluttony, and also lust. That's exactly what we're doing, right? The reason being for those sins is because they are infamously known as the seven deadly sins. Um, They are historically known as that. They've been called that for several years now. Um, They are even designated as the sins behind all sins. And so as you'll see when we go over this series together, as we spend some time every week looking at these Uh, particular themes, right? We'll take a thematic approach here uh, for this series. But as we spend some time examining some of humanity's biggest sin problems, the hope is that we sever these issues at their root, right? So we're going to identify these sinful behaviors together. And the, uh, the thing is, obviously, a lot of these sins that we will see here, um, a lot of these things are things that we identify with, things that a lot of the times we end up Uh, believing can give us the joy that we're seeking, the happiness that we desire, and we choose those things, choose these things over the joy that we find in Christ. And so the the series that you'll see here, obviously, as you can really tell, is called Kill Joys. Uh, This this name for this series, I believe, really uh, encapsulates, it encompasses the idea of what we're trying to do. The big idea of what we'll be talking about is encapsulated in this name, Killjoy, because while human heart, right, our hearts were made for a relationship with God, made for everlasting life, for uh, abundant life, everlasting joy, a lot of the times the unfortunate reality is is that we, as I've already mentioned, we choose really poor imitations of that. We choose uh, poor alternatives to that. And a lot of the times we choose things instead that are fleeting, things that are temporary, things that don't really give us what we're seeking at all, and even more so than that. These things that potentially seem like they're giving us what we want, they don't give it, but they actually rob us of what we're after. Um, they, They take it away from us. They're slowly killing us. And so as we go through this series, we're going to be talking about sin I know that 
You know, you might say, oh, well, we're going to talk about sin again. Oh, here we go again, talking about sin, sin. We, we talk about sin quite a lot. It always comes up, right? It's kind of cliche in that sense, but um, we still see in our society today, we live in a culture and we're surrounded by sinners. All of us are sinners and live in a world that most people have no idea what that really means and what that represents for them. And we have to comprehend what that means. We have to understand what it means. We have to understand not only what it means, but what it looks like. Understand what, lo- what sin looks like, what it looks like when we fall short for our wrongdoings, uh, what our wickedness looks like. We have to be able to identify these things, not just kind of pack them all under this three-letter word that's so easy for us to just kind of throw around, right? We kind of misuse it, or we don't totally understand it, and if we don't, we kind of miss a big part of the gospel because it, it, it's crucial for us to understand in order to understand the gospel because if we're going to understand the good news, if we're going to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we, um, uh, we have a Savior in Jesus, we have to know that we are in desperate need of a Savior. We have to know that we're sinners. And so it, it's important for us to identify these things, to talk about these things, right? There's a... There's an idea that you might grow numb to the gospel, right? You've heard that before. Man, I've heard the gospel so much that my heart has grown hard into it. It's just, you know, it's just not the same or for some reason it doesn't have the effect that it should and my heart maybe has grown numb to it. And there's individuals like that or maybe callous towards the gospel. There's also another danger and that is to downplay our need for the gospel. To downplay our need for it, to think that we don't really need the gospel. Uh, this, this Christianity thing, what Jesus did, that's not for me. I don't necessarily need that. I'm good. I'm happy. I'm enjoying life. I want to tell you that that's not true. And when we talk about that word sin, of course, when we talk about sin, it's something that's become so ingrained in our vocabulary that we really have, in a way, lost, its, um, uh, lost the sense of how ugly that word is and how vile our sin actually is. And that's not the only word I'd say we kind of do that with. We have a tendency to do that. Um, uh, who here is the person that loves everything in the world? Or at least you know somebody like that. That they say, oh, I love this. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love this. Oh, you like to swim? Oh, I love to swim. Oh, you don't like to swim? Oh, I love not to swim. Right? They just contradict themselves with their love. They love things that are polar opposites. They love everything. They love donuts as much as they love their mom, it seems. They, they at least say they do, and, and they, they use this word but really don't understand what that word love means. There's no reservation when they use it. They just kind of throw it around, right? If we do that with sin, if we dismiss sin, if we diminish sin, if we uh, kind of gloss over, if we don't truly understand what it is, what it truly is, what happens then is something even uh, graver is that we have a shallow perspective and understanding of God's grace. If you don't really understand how vile and how ugly sin is and the sin is in your life, then you don't understand fully what Jesus has done for you. And so they go together, and and we have to understand this to get a full picture of the gospel and what it really represents for each and every one of us. 1 Peter 2, 24, right? It says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Do we understand that? 
So with this series, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to shed some light on some ugly parts of our lives. We don't like addressing those things. A lot of the things that we're going to be talking about, right, these are things that we usually sweep under the rug. We pretend it's not there. We dismiss them. Um, but I do want to expose these things in our lives. And this is for myself, right? I'm, I'm doing this, this is myself included, but this goes for all of us. I want us to be honest. I want us to talk about these things. And as we go through this series, you'll see that every week we talk about a new sin. There may be sins, there may be things that you struggle with more than others. And, and maybe there are several that if you're being honest with yourself, like, man, this, this sounds like something I'm dealing with. Whatever the case may be, though, I just want to tell you, and I, and I want to remind you that no matter how unlovely your sin is, no matter how ugly it is, in every situation, God's grace, it covers it. If you, if you were to understand, right, that sin really is just this false illusion of joy, that it is temporary, it's not really giving you what you truly want, it's actually killing you, you can better understand what we're going to be doing here. In Romans 8.13, it says this. It'll be on the screen. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The reality is when we talk about these things, right, sometimes we seem hopeless. Sometimes it just seems like there's nothing we can do about it. But the truth is we can fight these things. We can fight the messes in our lives, right? The sin that so easily entangles us, we can fight those things, and we should. And so if I'm going to cite the primary source for this uh, series that we're going to be doing, apart from Scripture itself, of course, uh, we have to kill what is killing our joy, and thus the title, Kill Joys. If we're going to find our ultimate joy, if that's what we're seeking, if that's what we're looking after, uh, if that's what we're in search of, if we're going to find that, the only place we can find that is in Jesus Christ. Only in God, not in these things that we're going to be talking about, not in ourselves. Consequently, you'll see that if that is where we're looking for joy, if that is our source of joy, you'll see that your relationship with God will grow. And not only your relationship with God, but also with others. That you'll start to see the bearing of fruit in those relationships as well. You know, centuries ago, 1536, I believe, there was this French theologian by the name of John Calvin, and he wrote uh, The Institutes of the Christian Religion. Uh, he wrote uh, The Institutes, uh, which are highly regarded uh, to this day as one of the most influential works on Christianity. Um, as he writes, it's the subject of, this in, of these institutes is twofold. Uh, the former, as it says, is the knowledge of God. First and foremost, the knowledge of God, which leads to a blessed immortality. And the latter, it also emphasizes here that it is subordinate to the former, meaning it is not uh, as significant as it is below the level of importance. Follows it. That's uh, the knowledge of God first. And then the knowledge of ourselves. And really here with this series, the objective and the subject is the same. We want to look at God and we want to look at ourselves. And so for the next several weeks, as I already said, I want us to be honest with ourselves. I want us to truly listen, pay attention, listen to what we read, what we, what we talk about, and, and, and closely examine your life. 
right? Genuinely be honest with yourself. Ask yourself these questions. Look at your own life and maybe try to pinpoint areas in life that you are struggling in. Things that we go over and ask yourself, does this define me? Is this sin defining me? Could I define myself in this manner? Have I done so? And not only that, but is this something I'm struggling with, right? Is this something I wrestle with more than I probably should? Some of these things we can't help to to have to wrestle and, and fight against, right? Some of these things will just be a bipartisan of life. As we go through life, these different things will come up and, and they'll arise and, and we'll have to fight against the temptation, the sin in this way, but maybe you've been giving in to this particular sin. But you know who knows that? Two people. One, it's God. He knows your heart. But, but I can't point that out for myself. Only you know the things that you struggle with. If you're harboring things, if you know that you're going through certain struggles, if you're battling and wrestling to, to, with certain things, you have to ask yourself these questions and be honest with yourself. Not hide away your sin. right? If you want to get rid of the sin in your life, you have to expose it, shine light on it. And so that's what we want to do here. And as a matter of fact, if certain sins that we talk about are not things that you are struggling with, um, maybe... You have to be more honest with yourself and, and see if you really are or you're not. But even if you aren't, uh, take note of what we talk about here. Uh, make note of the uh, uh, different things that you could be looking out for. Ways that you can prevent falling into certain temptation, falling into certain sins. Uh, make note of these things, not just for the present, now, but also for the future. And so today... I hope that you put that into practice as we get started with our first um, uh, subject here, our first sin that we're going to talk about. I, I hope that you ask yourself these questions and, and you do go through our sermon today and you can be honest with yourself. Um, one of the things that I want to do as we go through each, um, each sin, as we go through every study, I do want to begin and I want to preface our time with just going over a few quotes that we have, going over a few um, uh, even definitions uh, in order to help us better understand the, uh, the issue that we're going to be talking about. So if you would just listen up, this is what has said, this is what has been said about this particular sin. It, it is the essence of all sin. It is the chief of all sins. Jonathan Edwards once said this, it is the most hidden, secret, and deceitful of all sins. And in his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says this, this is a little wordy, so listen up. It says, I now come to that part of the Christian morals where they differ most sharply from all other morals. There is one vice, another word there for sin, one vice of which no man in the world is free which everyone in the world loathes, and when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. I have heard people admit that they are bad-tempered, or that they cannot keep their heads about girls or drinks, or even that they are cowards. But I don't think I have ever heard anyone who is not a Christian accuse himself of this vice, of this sin. 
And at the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who was not a Christian who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The sin that we're going to be talking about, as you have already seen on the screen, is pride. Pride is today's uh, topic of discussion. And let me give you a quick definition of what pride is. It will also be on the screen so you can see for yourselves. These are a few definitions for it. Pride is this. Putting one's desires, needs, and wants before the well-being of others. It is corrupted selfishness. It is to excessively admire oneself or image. It is an irrational belief that one is far superior to and significant to others. It is an attempt to elevate oneself above others and God. See, God absolutely hates pride pride because it contends with God himself. What's unique about pride in respect to all the other sins that you'll you'll see and we'll even talk about is that while these other sins, you know, we talk about how sin tends to push us away from God, to draw us away from God. This particular sin, it actually tries to elevate us above God, to put ourselves above him. Not just push us away from him, but tries to change our positioning in respect to God. We see that illustrated very early on in the, in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, when we look at the fall of man, we see that the serpent approaches Eve, right? In verse 1, he says to her, did God actually say this to you? You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And she turned to him and she said, we may eat of the fruits of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, to give insight. She took the fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Not content, right, with the position that God had given them, right? If you've read Genesis, you see that, that God appoints a man above all of his creation, over all of his creation, and not content with that position. They tried to... Um, elevate themselves to the level of or even above God, at the very least equal to him. They wanted to be like God. They believed the lies here, and we see how pride does that. But the truth is we are not God. And although that's the case, man's pride tries to be. And pride is tricky. Pride is difficult for us to deal with. It's hard for us to fight against because it's difficult for us to pinpoint what it looks like. It's hard for us to distinguish what it looks like in all of our lives because it, a lot of the times, looks very different, right? Pride is not just one, uh, you know, shape. It, it, it changes, and it can even change within ourselves. We might display pride in, in totally different ways, and 
opposite ways, perhaps. Uh, and so today, in order for us to uh, talk about that, you know, I obviously want to be a little transparent with you. Pride is something that I would say I have struggled with. I think we all, to some extent, do. But me personally, I I have a really hard time admitting when I'm wrong. Right? I try to talk myself out of everything. I I can't. I can't admit it. I always want to be right. I have a tendency to be that way. If you find my wife one day, you can ask her. She will agree. She'll sign off on that because she hates it. Um, Because I always want to be right and I never want to be wrong. And because I always think that I am, even though I know that I'm not, I have a hard time admitting that I'm wrong. And I think part of that is because of my pride. To some extent, that is pride that I have to deal with. But it's not always like that. Pride is not always so obvious, right? When we think of something that is prideful, what do you think of? When you think somebody that's prideful, give me something. What do you think of? Anybody? Think of somebody that is prideful. Not, maybe not somebody exactly, obviously, but prideful. Easy. That was easy, right? Scar. Yeah, give me like an example, maybe a character or something. Anybody else? Maybe like one more. Anybody? Athletes. Oh, yeah. I was waiting for that one. That's how I was going to keep going until somebody said. Um, <laughs> no, but the, the biggest reason I think, obviously, that I struggle with, with my issue there is, I think, attested to pride, but it can look different in all of our lives. And I mentioned this before to some extent. I think we all struggle with pride. It said that pride is the sin in which all other sins kind of flow from. I think to some extent we all have this desire, right, to um, do what we want, to um, elevate ourselves, to be the center of attention. Something innately in us um, for some reason pulls that way. But I want to talk about a few, different re, uh, a few different ways that this may manifest itself. I, I want to talk about what pride may or may not look like, um, but I, I'm going to talk about two different forms of pride. And, and maybe you've experienced both. Maybe you've gone through times where it's one. Maybe it's the other. Maybe it's just one for you. Maybe you've never even considered the other as pride, but you're like, wow, have I been prideful? When we look at pride, it looks two different ways, right? There's two different things I want to talk about, and you'll see it on the screen now. It is building up and tearing down. The first one, when you look at people that fall under the category of building up, you often associate that with the sin pride itself. When we think of somebody that is prideful, the stereotypical prideful individual would fall under that. Somebody that is uh, building up, constantly building themselves up. Somebody that uh, I would say uh, flares up when they succeed and others don't. They are pretty smug and praising themselves, right? If they do something good, if they accomplish anything, you know about it because they talk about it all the time. Um, Your example, Molly, of somebody that rubs in any victory that they have, right? Even at the expense of others. Um, a lot of the times, it's not enough for them to just flaunt their own success. They have to flaunt it in front of the others and boast about it until they take notice and ultimately somebody praises them as well. There's this video that I think of, of somebody that is incredibly prideful and totally clueless at the same time. There's this individual 
several years ago that goes into this bank and robs the bank, right? This is about like 10 years ago. This girl goes into a bank and she robs a bank. And then the cops show up and they start talking to the bank tellers there and they're asking, um, hey, can you give us a description of what she looks like? Can you tell us how much she took, what she got? And so they give her a pretty good description of all of that stuff, but then they realize, wait a second, we don't need to ask about what she looks like. She's already shown what she looks like. This girl went on YouTube and made a video about stealing that day. She went on YouTube and made a video and talked about the card that she stole. She talked about the drugs that she stole. She literally put drugs in front of a camera and was smiling. She took out all the cash that she stole and she wrote on an index card, I robbed the bank, and then posted it online. Several days later, as you would expect, she was then brought to prison. Some people, they flaunt and they boast about the things that they have. Even in an arrogant way and in a very clueless, naive way, this is the kind of person we're talking about here. Somebody that is so full of themselves, right? They have this massive ego. And we see that quite a lot. People that, uh, people that are wrapped up in themselves, self-absorbed. Uh, in this category, we also see another symptom. Somebody that is always uh, justifying themselves, right? Self-justification. Um, right? Always, again, always got to be right. There's always an explanation of why you do something, right? You have a hard time admitting uh, that you're wrong. You can't. You don't want to. And even, and that goes even further, and we've talked about this quite a bit, and we've talked about it through, uh, through the last couple of series that we've done. We've talked about it in great lengths. We've seen what this looks like with self-justification when it comes to crediting your morality, your, your goodness, and attributing that to the, the standing that you have with God. Sometimes you let your pride actually convince you and fool you into thinking that your own goodness, the things that you do, is what makes you acceptable in God's eyes. Does that sound familiar? That sound like a group of people that we have been talking about, that we see in Scripture? It should. The Pharisees that we addressed um, in the past series that we did in the book of Galatians, and also in the beginning of the parable of the prodigal son, we see that this is their behavior, right? And they weren't just prideful about the things that they've done. They made sure that they paraded that around, that people knew about their goodness. Their reputation was founded and based upon their goodness and their morality and how superior they were. But we see that Jesus, he warns against this in Matthew. In, in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites who do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. When we look at this version of pride, we can see the desire to celebrate or uphold your own success and reputation, even to the expense of others. You're better than them. 
You're first. It doesn't matter. You're the priority. You're the center of attention. But not only that, there's, uh, there's something that is completely opposite to that, but it's also pride. On the other hand, you have that, but you have tearing down as well, and this is the exact opposite. These are people that are self-absorbed, but instead of talking about and championing their own achievements, they obsess over and purposely advertise their losses. I don't know if you know anybody like this, but it is a constant pity party when you're around them. They degrade themselves. They tear themselves down. They don't want to celebrate others, but rather they want to demote themselves and fish for reaffirmation from others. They intentionally, they, they, they bog themselves down. They're, they're just totally self-absorbed in, in all the negative things that are going on in their lives, and they, and they inflate those things and make sure everybody knows about it. And if you don't care about them, then you don't love them. And, and if you don't prioritize them, if they're not the center of your attention, then they're not important. But that's pride in a different way, is it not? Because although these two things are totally opposites and they're extreme opposites, at the root is the same issue. It is pride. It's self-preoccupation. It's all about you. It's all about me. In both of these cases, the focus is on ourselves, whether it's for a good reason or for a bad one. Nonetheless, it's on ourselves. And there is a remedy for this. However, and the solution to this, as you may have guessed already, is humility. It's humility. That's how we solve this pride issue. If you look at 1 Peter 5, uh, verses 5 and 6 say, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you. True humility is positioning yourself underneath God. And what regular happens is that we have this false sense of humility where we think that we can tear ourselves down, but as we've already seen, that's just another form of pride itself. C.S. Lewis, he says this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. When our focus is on God, we become less preoccupied with ourselves. And that is echoed, right, in verse 7, when we see the apostle Peter say, casting all our anxieties on him because he cares for you. Your pride will persistently lug uh, these things around because your eyes are always fixated on yourself. You are completely self-absorbed when you're prideful. But the humble person, he will cast these things into God's hands without any hesitation, and he doesn't and neglect his responsibilities, but he understands that even when he may not know what to do, why these things are happening, why things occur in our lives, for whatever reason they do, he knows that it is God who is in control, not himself. He knows that although I may not see what should be done, what can be done, it is God who does, and so I will look to him. His eyes are on God. True humility fixes its eyes on God's glory. And as I said, to some extent, we all struggle with pride. It doesn't help that our culture is kind of enveloped in pride. It's all about you, right? Everything is made for you. Everything is made to make your life easier. And so you're 
kind of helpless in, in, in that way, but there are things that we must remember in order to humble ourselves. And the first step in humbling ourselves and the first step of humility begins at the cross. In Romans 6.23, I like to call this a LeBron James verse. If you have trouble memorizing it, remembering it, the reference is both of his jersey numbers. Thus, the LeBron James verse, Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Every sinner deserves death. Sin results in death. It is equal to death. And yet, God, being merciful as he is, he sent his son to make another way. And Jesus humbled himself, came to this earth as a baby, lived the life we never could, and died for our sins, becoming the propitiation for our sins. And only when we see the cross correctly do we see ourselves correctly. Only when we see the cross the way that we're meant to see it, when we see Jesus on the cross, we see our sin. We see what he has done for us. That doesn't necessarily eliminate pride, right, internally for good. That doesn't happen. There's a process of sanctification that takes place. It happens over time. We have this constant war that is waging within us. Even if we're walking in step with God every single day, the Apostle Paul, for example, he had been sent visions of God's glory. God has spoken directly to him, and he has seen him. And yet he was tempted to be prideful, to be arrogant, like the false teachers. And so we see that this is something that we have to wrestle with and deal with constantly until the day arrives in which pride will permanently put to death. And until that day, we have to be mindful of different things. We have to be mindful of how we can be humble. The fight against pride wages on, and until that day comes, we have to passionately exude humility. Humility is this, and this is what it takes. Taking your eyes off yourself and placing them on God. If we're gonna think of ourselves less, Remember again, it's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. If you're gonna do that, then you have to think of something more. If you're gonna think of yourself less, you have to think of something else more. God has no rivals, there's none equal to him. Don't let your pride thinking uh, fool you into thinking that you are. So ask yourselves, let me ask you a few questions and we'll go. Think about these things. Think about these questions and ask yourself these things. Are you more in awe of yourself than you are with God? Are you more concerned with what you want than what God wants for your life? Are you so self-absorbed that you are blinded by your own misery and sorrow that you no longer see what Jesus has done for you and what he has freed you from? Be honest with yourself and ask God to open up your eyes so maybe some of the pride that's in your life and also open up your eyes to the glory of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together, that we, that we get to open up your word and, and challenge ourselves. Uh, and, and I hope that we're honest uh, with ourselves in, in asking these difficult questions. Uh, pride is such an easy thing uh, for us to deal with. Sometimes we don't even recognize it. I pray that we would be able to diagnose these sins that may come up in our lives that we struggle with on a constant basis. I pray that, 
uh, if there's anybody in here that struggles with humility, I pray that we would be known for our humility, Lord. Uh, thank you again for this time. I pray that as we go about the rest of our day, it would be a blessed day, and we pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, folks, good morning, and citizens, hope you guys have a great day.